0: Uh, If you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 12? I think it's page 977, where we come across another question that Jesus asks in Matthew's gospel. So far during this series, which we've called Treasure the Questions, we've looked at some questions that, that kind of immediately connect with us. So, for example, we've looked at the question, Why are you so afraid? from Matthew chapter 8, or last week from Matthew chapter 9, do you believe I am able to do this? And I think we can, we can readily relate to those questions, but this morning's question may seem certainly at face value to be a little less relevant or appealing, because questions about fear and whether we believe Jesus is able to do certain things, those kind of questions do resonate. But this one, from Matthew chapter 12, feels a little more kind of left fade, a little less arresting. If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Now, how do you feel about that question, okay? Are you excited about that one? Intrigued? Confused? Or maybe it confirms it's time for a nap, it's time for a rest, which in a strange way may be more appropriate than you think. I hope that by the end of this morning you'll see why I've included this question in our series and why it is another great question of Jesus that takes people on a journey of discovery. Before we read the text, I need to say a couple of things by way of introduction to highlight what's kind of been going on in and around this particular incident or these incidents that we're going to read about this morning. The first piece of info that's important to know is that Jesus is on a collision course with the Pharisees. And this collision course with the Pharisees is gathering pace. Their opposition to Jesus was increasing by the day. If you were here last Sunday, the story we looked at finished with the Pharisees being convinced that Jesus was in league with the devil. As far as they were concerned, the reason that Jesus was able to drive out demons is because he was connected to the prince of demons. As far as they were concerned, Jesus was from, Jesus was sourced by the dark side As we come to the end of today's text, their hatred of Jesus had reached such a level that they had set the wheels in motion to kill him. And throughout this entire chapter, all of Matthew chapter 12, we read of the Pharisees at loggerheads with Jesus. The second piece of info that's important concerns what Jesus was speaking about immediately prior to these incidents that we're going to read about. Because this adds to the tension with the Pharisees. If your Bible is open before you, flick back to the end of chapter 11, to those words that Glenn quoted and Glenn used earlier. Familiar words of Jesus regarding rest. Come to me, all who are weary. This is at the end of chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Rest. Rest. Anyone need that? Anyone long for that? Jesus has just claimed to be the source of rest and that his yoke of discipleship is easy and the burden is light, which compared to the yoke of the law that the Pharisees wanted to pile on people, this was a sharp and striking contrast. I came across a a word this week that I hadn't heard before. It's a made-up word. And yet seeing it made so much sense. Religion. Has anybody ever seen that word before? I have never, no. Yet it's so obvious at one level. Religion pretty much summarizes what the Pharisees promoted. Do you know something that's still alive and well today? Including in my own heart at times. And on the subject of rest, which in first century Judaism meant above everything else observing the Sabbath. whenever Whenever people talked about rest they immediately thought about observing the Sabbath. Ceasing from all work on a Saturday, the seventh day of the week, this was a hot topic that Jesus had raised, this topic of rest, this topic of observing Sabbath. This was a red flag issue to the Pharisees because you see the Pharisees had a whole bunch of rules regarding Sabbath observance. And Jesus didn't mention a single one. In fact, Here he was saying that he could provide Sabbath rest. Where was the list of things to do? Or rather, where was the list of things you can't do and you shouldn't do when it comes to Sabbath? So, those are the two important issues you need to hang on to as we read this. Increasing hostility, with a bunch of people who are into religion and a radical reference to rest to sabbath observance so let's stand and read what happens next matthew 12 beginning at verse 1 page 977 this follows straight on from the end of matthew 11 at that time jesus went through the corn fields on the sabbath his disciples were hungry And they began to pick some ears of corn and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, "Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered them, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, and yet... Are innocent. I tell you that someone greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, here's our question, if any of you has a sheep, falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand." So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Grab a seat. See, Jesus had, uh, Jesus had touched a raw nerve, and because Jesus had touched a raw nerve by beginning to talk about rest and by beginning to say that Sabbath rest was found in him, this meant that the Pharisees were all over this. They wanted to push him on the subject of Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath, which for them was one of the three most important and distinctive badges of Jewish life. Does anyone know what the other two were? There's observing Sabbath, and then there were two more. Temple, yeah, dietary laws, maybe as much as the temple, and also then the other one, circumcision. Those were the three biggies. Coming to Jesus, if coming to Jesus provided rest for the whole of life, you can kind of see how this was going to wind up people who were big on regulations that prevented various kinds of work going on on one specific day of the week. If Jesus was coming along and saying, I can provide Sabbath rest, not just on one day, right across the board, if I can provide Sabbath rest, you can see how that is going to wind up people who were into nailing things down. And into the bargain, Jesus seems to be suggesting in what we've just read, that he fulfilled the fourth commandment. So what did he say? For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And this was way too much for the Pharisees. So let's follow the story. So Jesus and his friends are out on a kind of Sunday, Sabbath afternoon walk and stroll. It's been a long tradition. And the disciples get a bit peckish, and and so they grab something to eat, which again, there's nothing unusual about that, is there? But it turns out they're being watched. The Pharisees, you see, because of this whole growing tension thing, it seems that they were constantly keeping an eye on what Jesus and his friends were doing. And so the Pharisees point out to Jesus, Listen, Jesus, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, keeping the Sabbath holy as a day for worship, as a day for recreation was important. To draw near to God, to enjoy God, to be refreshed, that was a gift. But as I say, the Pharisees wanted to nail it down further. They wanted to tighten it up. As far as they were concerned, this idea that the Sabbath is holy, well, that was way too vague and woolly. Can't have people enjoying themselves. And so, as part of their oral tradition, and many of you know this, as part of their oral Torah, what they did was they categorized 39 activities that you were specifically forbidden to do on the Sabbath. And as they looked down their checklist of 39, they reckoned that the disciples had at least got a tick beside three of them. They were reaping. they were winnowing, whatever that means, and they were preparing a meal on the Sabbath. And that, as far as they were concerned, was unlawful. So, Jesus, what are you going to do about it? And so, Jesus does what he often does. He asks a question, a disarming question that would have caught them off guard. Have a look at this. Here's the, quest, the first question he asks. Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? No. Whenever you're dealing with people who are big on detail and facts and stuff written down, again, to actually challenge them and ask them, haven't you read? That would have wound them up even further. Jesus cites a story from Scripture to justify and explain what his disciples were doing and that it was perfectly okay, it was legit. And he refers them back to an incident in 1 Samuel chapter 21, where David and and his friends were on the run from Saul, and they got hungry. And so they nipped into the temple, and they ate the consecrated bread that was only meant to be eaten by priests. Now, as you look at the middle of verse 4, Jesus recognizes that what they did was unlawful. But What's important to note is that Scripture doesn't condemn them. It doesn't condemn them for eating the bread, and it doesn't condemn the priests in the temple for letting them eat the bread. Now, again, some of you know this, what, what Jesus was actually getting at and referring to by using this Old Testament incident has been debated and discussed for years. As I prepared for today, and as I read into this, I discovered there are at least eight different interpretations as to why Jesus referred them back to this incident. I'm not going to share all eight with you, Okay. But the really big issue is that Jesus was effectively asking them this question and telling the Pharisees too. Now, we're about to get a technical theological term here. He was effectively, effectively telling them to, ready, wind their necks in and see the bigger picture, okay? Wind their necks in, see the bigger picture. The intent of the law, here was Jesus' point, the intent of the law is to serve people, not to squeeze the life out of them. The intent of the law wasn't meant to make people's lives miserable. It's a bit like what Jesus said in Mark 2. Sabbath is being made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, before the Pharisees have got time to start reading 1 Samuel 21, as Jesus asks them this question, and as they hurry away to read about it, Jesus asks them a second question. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? This is a reference to Numbers chapter 28, which explains how priests were required to work on the Sabbath. Therefore, they broke the rules. And yet, as the the text says, they were considered innocent, guiltless. Just as a side note, you see it's true. Priests Ministers, pastors only do work one day a week. Uh, and that's on the day they're not meant to. Uh, but anyway, Jesus is making the point, Jesus is making the point that if the guardians of the temple, the priests, if they were allowed to violate Sabbath rules for the greater good, then it's perfectly okay what the disciples have done. Perfectly okay. Because at the end of the day, as far as the priests were concerned, worship has got to take precedence over rules and regulation every day. And as if that reference to Numbers 28 wasn't provocative enough for the Pharisees, what Jesus must have said next would have been a stunning remark. This this would have sent their heads spinning. I tell you, says Jesus. After he asks these two questions, I tell you. There's one greater than the temple here. There's one greater than the temple now here. Who? What could be greater than the temple? And is now here. You see, Jesus wasn't so much using these two stories from the Old Testament to justify his disciples' actions. But what he was doing, particularly with that last comment, is he's making the point that it's in him, it's in his arrival. It's in his coming, his very nature and authority. That is what trumps the law and makes it perfectly okay for his disciples to do what was once forbidden. Now, as you can imagine, this conversation is ensuing, it's gone down like a lead balloon. But Jesus didn't stop there, he pushes further. Because he wants to prove that his disciples are innocent, that there's nothing wrong with what they've just done. And for a third time, Jesus cites Scripture, which is a masterstroke when you're dealing with people like this. But for a third time, he cites Scripture, and he refers back to the prophet Hosea. And this is a quote that Jesus has actually used before in Matthew's Gospel. So this must be a really important phrase that we're about to read. If you had known, says Jesus, what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, at the end of the day, Sabbath is a gift. And God, in his great mercy, has given the Sabbath to provide relief, to provide rest, to provide Uh, refreshment, space to worship, space to come and recharge, not to make people's lives miserable because they've got to perform a whole pile of other stuff or not perform a whole pile of other stuff. If only the Pharisees, according to Jesus, had not just read the prophet, because of course they've read the prophet, but what they hadn't done, they hadn't understood the prophet. And if they'd understood the prophet, then they might be more prone to extend mercy and stop demanding sacrifice. God desires mercy. Note, God doesn't demand mercy. God desires mercy not sacred. God desires compassion over ritual. Or as one writer says, God is looking for loving the loving allegiance of the heart rather than the ritualistic precision of the cultus or the system of religious worship. He's looking for the allegiance of the heart. The heart of the matters. The matter of their heart. We're back to something was said so many times. And the Pharisees were big on externals, and therefore they kept adding to their religion. They kept adding burdens onto the daily lives of people. And Jesus challenged them. And Jesus continually challenged the Pharisees about the condition of the inside, the condition of their hearts. And all that did was it kept upsetting them. Because You see, when it comes to the externals, we can all do things that look right. We can tick boxes But you see, the idea that, yes, man looks in the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. And that is so true at so many levels. Whether he's looking for a new king or whether he's looking for genuine followers of Jesus, God's looking for the heart. God's looking at the heart. And Jesus knew the heart of his disciples, and he knew the heart of the Pharisees, and Jesus knew exactly where the problem lay. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, how is your heart? How's your heart? Has it engaged with God in worship this morning, or are you just here out of a sense of ritual? Do you know, we've got to be so careful. There's nothing wrong with ritual. There's nothing wrong with routine. There's nothing wrong with ceremonial observance. Hosea, Matthew, Jesus certainly weren't writing those things off, but what they were saying is see, when they become a priority, that's when the problem arises and that's when your heart suffers. How's your heart this morning? Back to the story. In verse 8, it kind of brings this particular dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees to a climax. And what a closing statement and, and comment that Jesus makes to add further, kind of fuel the flames even more. For the Son of Man, says Jesus, is the Lord of the Sabbath, which is back. To the end of Matthew 11, as the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus gives the true interpretation of its intent. What is the intent of the Sabbath? To bring rest. And so Jesus is saying, and this is hard to convey to you this morning as to how explosive this would have been to pharisaical ears. It is, this is what Jesus was saying. It is me who brings rest. Under my yoke that is easy and my burden of discipleship is light. Come to me. And you will find rest. The Sabbath rest is Jesus. See if you can remember nothing else I say this morning. Which is very likely. The Sabbath rest is Jesus. And the Pharisees may be reeling as they try to process this. The Lord of the Sabbath, come to me and I'll give you rest. Then they watch what the disciples are doing on this day and it really annoys them. And as they're processing all of this, and they may be reeling, but they don't back down. And so in verse 9, we read that there is a church service, it would seem, in full flow. That's the implication. And one of the congregations got a shriveled hand. And do you know what's tragic about this? It really only struck me this week. Before I get to kind of the controversy, but do you know what struck me this week and I find it tragic? Do you know what the Pharisees see when they see a man with a shriveled hand? They see an opportunity to get at Jesus. They see an opportunity to get at Jesus. They don't see a person. They don't see his condition. They simply see a chance, another chance to accuse Jesus. And so they use this poor man as a pawn in their game. You see, whenever your heart becomes disengaged and religion takes over, people become either invisible or incidental. And it's the Pharisees' turn to ask a question, which I love because maybe they've picked up on how effective this method is. And so they turn around to Jesus and they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Which is interesting in itself because they obviously believed he could. But the question now is, is it lawful to heal? We know you can do this, but is it lawful to heal? on the sabbath now in extreme cases of life or death sabbath rules could be violated the pharisees knew that but this wasn't an extreme case of life or death there was no urgency here this man had a shriveled hand he had had it for years this was not a life or death issue but they were trying to trick and trap jesus and so what does jesus do brilliant again he counters with another question I mean, it is a, a masterstroke. When you get asked the question, just go back with a question. Brilliant. And here's our question. So Jesus says to them if any of you has a sheep, falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? This wasn't a rhetorical question. You see, Jesus knew that their answer would be yes. Why? Because according to their oral laws, they could rescue an animal who had fallen into a pit on the Sabbath. And yet... When it came to rescuing and healing a human being, they said, do you know something, Jesus? That's unlawful. Unless it is a matter of life and death, it's unlawful. And so what does Jesus do? He heals the man. Why? Because, you know what Jesus says? Human beings are far more valuable than sheep. Plus, there's a higher principle at stake. It's not about abstaining from certain activities on the Sabbath. It's about doing good on the Sabbath. It's not about abstaining from certain activities on the Sabbath. It's about doing good on the Sabbath. It's lawful, says Jesus, to do good on the Sabbath. Which might involve helping another human being, but it also involves gathering with others for worship, spending time with family and friends. Jesus does a good thing and he completely restores the man's hand, which just adds insult to injury. And so, what do the Pharisees do? They storm out. Stuff this compassion over ritual, forget this mercy over sacrifice. They're off to organize a killing spree. They're about to jump all over the sixth commandment. And so what's the takeaway for us this morning, over and above what I hope has maybe already connected at some level with you? Well, you see, in terms of Sabbath commands, as in actual Sabbath commands in the New Testament and for the New Testament Christian, because lots of what most people associate with Sabbatarianism has more to do with the legacy of the 16th and 17th century legalism than it has to do with the teaching of the New Testament. And that's not me jumping all over the fourth commandment. The need to rest from work as the creator himself did. The need to work from a place of rest as the first humans did. Those things are absolutely vital. But the key point that I want you to take away today is this. Believers today, and that's most of us. Believers today fulfill the Sabbath commands when they heed Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to thirty. And they rest daily in Jesus. Who is the Lord of the Sabbath? It's all about Jesus and being his disciple and being his follower. Because that is where true rest is now found. And Paul touched on this whenever he was writing to the church at Colossae. He touched on this where he said, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ The reality of Sabbath, the reality of true Sabbath rest is found in Jesus. And you see the minute we start adding any kind of other burdens on people regarding it is the minute that we veer into rule edging, and we cannot go there.